We're in week two of this series, Comfy Christmas. On the count of three, can I get you guys all to say Comfy Christmas? Ready? One, two, three. Comfy Christmas. Yeah, that's what we all would like. We all, we all have our traditions. We all have our things that we do every year. We, also, we all often spend the same time, same people, sorry, spend time with the same people every year, go to the same places, spend time with the same people every year, eat the same food, you know, have the same traditions, go see the lights on the same night, go, you know, cook the, bake the, bake the Christmas cookies on the same day. That's kind of what we do, and we do that because we like for Christmas to feel familiar, and we like for Christmas to feel comfortable, and we, and we, like, and we like for Christmas to be that because at the end of the day, that's just something that we kind of want. We want we want Christmas to not be full of surprises. We want it to be, to be familiar so that it feels comfortable. All of us kind of want a comfy Christmas. It's why we get the Christmas pajamas. It's why we eat the same food. It's why we do all that stuff. But what we said last week is this, that this is kind of the bait and switch of this whole series, is that God is not primarily or God is not ultimately concerned with your comfort. That if we, if we, the, the problem with chasing a comfy Christmas or the problem with pursuing a comfy Christmas is simply that God is not ultimately concerned with your comfort and God is not ultimately concerned with my comfort. And whether it's the Christmas season or whether it's the rest of the year, God is not ultimately concerned with your comfort or your comfort or your comfort or my comfort. God actually has something bigger than our comfort in mind. And while comfort isn't bad, God will sacrifice your comfort and God will sacrifice my comfort to achieve the bigger things that he wants in my life and in your, and, and in your life. So we, want, so we don't want to be people who chase comfort. We want to be people who chase the, be, the bigger things and the better things that God has for us. And so last week we talked about, we started talking about what are the, some of those things that God has for you? What are some of the things that maybe God wants for you in the middle of this Christmas season that God wants to begin something that, that might spark, spark some real change in your life? And so last week we said the, the, the big idea that God doesn't want you comfy this Christmas. God wants you surrendered this Christmas. That God wants you and I to come to a place where we would say, God, whatever you say, Okay, whatever you say, I'll do that thing. Whatever you want, I'll do. Whatever you command, I'll follow. Whatever, wherever you lead me, I'll go. I, I just simply say, God, wherever you say, okay. Whatever you say, yes. I, we give God our unconditional yes, and we follow the example that Mary, as a, as a teenage girl said, I mean, when you think of this, again, Mary as a 12 or 13 or a 14-year-old girl set an example that we're still trying to live up to, that she just simply said, God, if that's what you want, Yes. If that's what you have, yes. If that's what you expect, yes. Whatever you say, okay. And so that's kind of where we've been last week. That's where we started off. We started off kind of jumping into the deep end that God is not ultimately concerned with your comfort, but he wants you surrendered. He wants you surrendered. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about something that's, that I want to move into the new content. And I want to ask you, how many of you are good at doing this word? Put the, if you put this next word up on the screen, it's the word wait. How many of you guys are good at waiting? Anybody good at waiting in here? A couple of people are liars. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, I, I, now I, don't, know, I don't know what you think of when, when you think of waiting. When it comes to the Christmas season, for me, I, I, am, I am one of those people, I, I have real trouble, I have real trouble waiting to open Christmas presents. Um, and I think there's, there's two types of people. We kind of identified them a little earlier. There's the people who are like, you know what? You open all gifts on Christmas Day, and if you open a gift before Christmas Day, somehow Santa's going to show up and punch you in the face. Like, that, like, that, like, that's, like that's what you think, or, you know, God's going to take it away. Like, if you open it up and you got a pair of socks, that pair of socks is going to vanish because, you know, like, you just don't, you don't mess with the Christmas Day opening of the gifts. That's when you open gifts, and you have no problem waiting. You even have people who would give you a gift, and they say, you can open it, and you're like, nope, I can't. I'm sorry. And you're, they're like, it actually would be rude if you, if you don't open this. And you're like, that's fine. I'll be rude because I'm not going to mess with tradition. I open presents on Christmas Day. And then you have people like me who, like, 
I, like if someone hands me a gift, I start sweating a little bit because I'm just waiting for the person to say, you can open it so I don't have to lie and act like I didn't open it the second they turned their back. Like I, I, Jay, it drives Jalen crazy. It starts about like as soon as her birthday is done on December 20th, I start going, can we open presents? Can we open presents? Can we open? And she, she, so she has figured out the second I see wrapped gifts, I want them opened. And so she's figured out, you know what? We're just not going to wrap any gifts until after Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve because I'm going to open them the second I see them under the tree. And actually, this is the one of the ways, if you're dating someone and you want to find out if that person is the person that you're supposed to marry, this is one of the ways you figure that out because God puts a can't wait person with a wait person. And so, and so God has a sense of humor like that and he puts two people together who, who can't figure out when they're going to open gifts. And so uh, it, it's really great. It's really, really fantastic. But we, some of us, we really have a problem waiting for Christmas gifts. Others of us, when it, it doesn't have to do with Christmas, but we just have issues of waiting when it comes to patience, when it comes to something not happening the way we thought it was going to happen or something not being done or ready when we, when we were told it was supposed to be ready. A couple weeks ago, um, I had, to take, I had to take our Jeep in to get an oil change. And I, so I, I naturally, I went to Walmart because I care about high mechanical skills. And so I, so, I, so, I, so I took it to Walmart and I had a little bit of shopping to do. And so I figured, okay, we'll get the oil change and then I'll ask them how long, you know, how long is it going to take so I can go do my shopping. I'll know how long I need to stall around Walmart so I can get back and, and, and check out and just go home all in one fa- you know, swoop without, without stopping, without wasting any motion. Like I come in, I give you my card, I go back. I, like it's just, that was my plan. It was fantastic. They said, we'll be ready at 12 40. I said, sweet. So I had 34 minutes that I needed to, to waste by doing my grocery shopping, a little bit of Christmas shopping. And I did that and I, and I had it timed out so beautifully. I pulled out my phone out, I pulled my phone out when I was at the checkout, checking out with my other stuff. And it was 1239. And I felt like I had accomplished like the gold medal of Christmas shopping. Like, okay, I am done at 1239. It's going to take me a minute to walk to the back of the store. They're going to hand me my keys. They're going to thank me for being so timely and so, so organized and such a wonderful manager of time. That's what's going to happen. And I showed up and I said, can I, can I please get my key so I can and, and pay for my oil change? They said, oh, sir, we're so sorry. We just pulled it in. And I, there was a little part of me that died inside. That, like, I was just like, you just, you just pulled it in. How? And, 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 and what's the question that we ask when, when, when we're told something like, well, how long is it going to be? Well, how long is it going to be? So I asked, well, how long is it going to be? They said, well, we don't know. It usually takes somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes. Somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes, I've already done all my shopping. I've got some cold stuff in my cart that needs to get to the, to the refrigerator, that needs to get to the freezer. Is it going to last? I start freaking out because I also had my lunch in there, which was hot. And so I had my, my hot lunch and I had my cold stuff. That needed, and I was, just, I was just kind of freaking out. And I, and I went and I sat in their little waiting room, which because, which because we're, none of us are good at waiting, we've designed rooms for waiting and they're not really great for waiting and there was nothing on the TV. And so I just sat there, and if you're anything like me, I sat there counting the number of minutes for how long it took after they told me it was going to be ready. And I'm not, I won't tell you how long it was, but I know the number of minutes because I counted them. Every minute that was extra, I was like, another minute. Now it's been 17. Now it's been 18. Now it's been 19. And then I decided, I was like, okay, I need to call Verizon about something. So I called Verizon and I got off the phone with Verizon. I'm like, we're still not done. Now it's been 21 minutes. It was, I mean, like that, like I just have a tough time waiting for stuff. I have, I have a difficult time waiting for stuff. And so here's the thing. There's, there's the Christmas aspect of waiting. There's, you know, wait, waiting to open gifts. There's the regular everyday, everyday type of frustrations of, you know, waiting for an oil change. But let's be honest, for some of us, our real frustration in life comes when we're not waiting for an oil change and when, when we're not waiting to open Christmas presents, but when we're waiting on God. 
right? For many of us, we would say the biggest frustrations in our lives are the moments where we feel like God should have done something and it hasn't happened yet. Where we feel like God should have already figured this out. God should have already moved in this situation. God should have already cleared the way and it hasn't happened yet. Where maybe we feel like we received a promise from God and it hasn't happened yet. Maybe for some of you, you're, you, you've believed that by 24, you would be married. And you've hit 22, and you've hit 23, and you're real close to hitting 24, and there's no, there's no prospects, there's no ring on a finger, there's, no, there's been no wedding day, and you feel like, hey, you know, God, I felt confident that by 24 this was going to happen, so what's the deal? And you feel like you're waiting on God, and you're waiting for God to show up and to bring the right person into your life so that, so that you can, you know, experience what you feel like God promised you, maybe. For some of you, maybe you feel like at work you should be further than you are along right now. You feel like you've worked and you've put in the hours and you've put in the hours and you've put in the effort and you've been a person of consistency and you've been a person of integrity and you feel like you should be further along in your career. You feel like you should have gotten a promotion and another promotion and another promotion and it just hasn't happened. You feel like you're kind of stuck in the same spot that you were three years ago or four years ago or seven years ago. And you're thinking, God, surely by now, if I've, if I've been putting in this work, God should have promoted me by, by now. Maybe for some of you, you feel, you feel like you're supposed to be parents or you're supposed to have another child and getting, and getting pregnant for you has been difficult. I know in our church, that's, that's, many, that's, that's the story for many people going like, hey, this is what, what I feel is supposed to happen and I feel like we're supposed to be parents, but getting pregnant has been a real, a real difficult thing. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, you've, you've been praying for healing. You, you, you read the promises in the Bible of, of God bringing healing to his people and you've got a loved one or maybe it's you even that, that someone, someone that you love, someone that you care about or maybe yourself has been sick and you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been believing and you've been believing and things haven't gotten better. Things have actually gotten worse. I think all of us know what it feels like to wait on God. And, and, and the tricky thing about waiting on God is waiting on God is always uncomfortable, right? Waiting is uncomfortable if it's waiting, in, waiting for an oil change. Waiting is uncomfortable if it's waiting to open Christmas gifts. But waiting is really uncomfortable when it comes to waiting on God. Because we know and we believe that God at the snap of a finger, if it was God's perfect timing, God could make anything happen at the time. And at the time, so we wonder, well, God, why are you not doing what I feel like you should be doing? Why have you not cleared the way? Why have you not brought the person? Why have you not made it possible for us to get pregnant? Why have you not, not promoted me at work? Why, 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 why? Waiting is always uncomfortable. It's always uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable when you're 20. It's uncomfortable when you're 23. It's uncomfortable when you're 34. It's uncomfortable when you're 44. It's uncomfortable at all stages of life. When you feel like God is, has told you something, waiting on God is always uncomfortable. And the, and, and the tricky part about waiting is waiting sends us in a couple different, different directions. It can, it can really be this thing that, that causes us to drift away from God. It causes us to wonder, well, did God even really promise that? Did God even really promise that? And for some of us, let's just be honest, there are things that we believe confidently that should happen that we have talked ourselves into believing. We've talked ourselves into believing that God promised something that God never promised. Some of you, you think you should have been married by 24 because you talked yourself into that. Some of us, we, we, we feel like we should have been promoted at work because we talked ourselves into that. And maybe, maybe, here's the thing, it might be that God promised you that, but sometimes we have to look into the mirror and go, did God actually say that, or was that my imagination, or was that my heart? Did I, did, did I desire it so much that I've convinced myself that God promised it? Did God, you know, we start to go, well, did God ever promise that? But for some of us, the bigger question that we face when we're waiting is, we wonder, is, is God ever going to do this? Is God going to keep his promise? Is God capable of keeping his promise? Could God promote me? Could God even bring the right person anymore? Am I past the point where God 
was still going to keep his promise. So waiting, it's always uncomfortable, and waiting can lead us to some really, really dangerous places, and waiting can lead us to some, th- some things that can actually drive us away from God. And the problem with seeking comfort, and the problem with the whole comfy Christmas idea as we talk about it today is simply this, that if we're seeking comfort, waiting on God can cause us to wander from God. If we're seeking comfort, if, if you're seeking comfort, if I'm seeking comfort, and, and waiting is uncomfortable, if I'm seeking comfort, waiting on God can very easily cause me to wander from God. It can make me doubt, can God even do this? It can make me doubt, will God do this? It can make me doubt, is God capable of keeping his promises? Did I miss out and did I mess up? If we're seeking comfort, waiting on God can cause us to wander from God. And so the question that we have today is simply this, what do we do with that? What do we do at those moments where we're waiting on God? What do we do where, where, where we've done everything that we can do and we're still waiting? What do we do when we think we've tried everything that we can try and we're still waiting? What do we do when we've worked as hard as we can and we've been a person of integrity and we still haven't been promoted? What do we do when we think we're putting ourselves in a position to meet the right type of person and we still haven't met the right person? What do we do when we're waiting on God? Is there a right way or a wrong, and a wrong way to wait on God. And today, what we see in the Christmas story as we, as we look to something that happens at the end of the Christmas story is we actually have an incredible example of someone who was forced to wait and wait and wait and wait for something that God had promised them. And so we're going to pick the story up in Luke chapter 2. Uh, the, the, the Christmas story, as Luke tells it, doesn't just happen in the manger. The Christmas story, as Luke tells it, Luke actually gives us the biggest, broadest, widest, most detailed account of the birth of Jesus and the events that happened around it. And so in Luke chapter 2, after the birth of Jesus, we find out what, what Mary and Joseph and Jesus and some other people around the story did. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, it says this, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus. Would you guys say Jesus? He was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him To the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So here's the thing. After the birth of Jesus, there are some details that needed to take place. In order for Jesus to be a proper, good Hebrew Jewish boy, there were some things that needed to take place ceremonially. There were some things that needed to take place sacrificially. There was a dedication ceremony that needed to take place, much like what we do in churches today where we dedicate children to the Lord. This is, this is what they do. They go and they, and they have Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. And then, they, and then they offer their sacrifice so that they can be considered pure, pure within the law. And then they take, him to, take Jesus to the priest and they have Jesus dedicated. Now, I, I, I think this is just kind of a funny thought. Can you imagine being the priest who's holding Jesus, the Son of God, dedicating the Son of God to God, right? Like, you would have to not have any idea of what's going on. Like, obviously, no one had a clue that, you know, like, like just imagine being the priest being like, Lord, we dedicate this child to you. May he be a great man. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to be pretty great. Like, like I just, it's just kind of a funny thought. Like, like, like whenever, like when we have our, our children dedicated because I'm a pastor, like I think it's weird for a pastor to dedicate their own child. So we always have a, another pastor come and, and, and dedicate our, 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 our daughters. And we're going to do that again in, in, I think it's February or March or something like that. And, and it, because, it, because it's just like, you know, here, we got we to hand this person, you know, our, our child to someone to dedicate to the Lord. And, and these parents, Mary and Joseph, they're like, well, we got 
to do this thing. We got to do this thing because this is what we're supposed to do. In order to be righteous, in order to be holy, in order to follow the way of doing things, we have to hand our child to a priest or to a minister to be dedicated to the Lord. And here's, and, and while that's weird and while that's kind of funny to think about, there's a big lesson here that we need to, that we need to pay attention to. And the big lesson that we should pay attention to is simply this. God doesn't skip steps. God does not skip steps. God doesn't skip steps. And here's the thing. If, when we look at this story, we think, well, Jesus didn't need to be dedicated. Jesus didn't need to be circumcised. Like, like Jesus' parents, they didn't need to go do all that stuff. Jesus actually came to be the end to this way of doing things. He came to be the end to, to the whole circumcision mattering. He came to be the end to the whole sacrificial system. He came to be the, to the end to like purification by sacrifice at the temple. He came to be the end of all of that. So Jesus didn't have to do this. But according to God, Jesus had to do this. For Jesus to be viewed as a perfect, sinless son of God by the Jewish people, Jesus had to do this. For Jesus to have grown up in a house where his parents weren't questioned every step of the way because of the way they handled his birth, Jesus had to do this. His parents had to do this. Jesus, as the perfect, sinless son of God, did not get to skip the step of circumcision, didn't get to skip the step of sacrifice, didn't get to skip the step of, of, becoming, of his parents becoming pure. It didn't, Jesus, God didn't skip steps for Jesus. And if God won't skip steps for his own sin, son, God will not skip steps for you. And so some of us, the frustration that we feel is we feel like we're waiting for God to move us from point A to point T, and we haven't yet, and we haven't yet gone from B to C to D to E to R to S. We, we, we think like, well, God's going to move you from A to T. No, no, no. God's going to move you from A to B. And then God's going to move you from B to C. Does this make sense? God does not skip steps. And, while, and if he won't do it for his own sinless, perfect son, he will not do it for you. There is value in the process. There is value in the steps. There is value in taking the step that's before you, not jumping to the neck to the thing that you want to get to. There's value in A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I won't go through the whole alphabet, but I want you to know I can do it, okay? And so like, there is value in the step for Jesus there was no need to do the step, but there was still value in the step. There was no need or there was no necessity for, for, for the sacrifice. There was no necessity for circumcision, but it was still proper. And if God won't skip steps for his own son, I'm just telling you, God won't skip steps for you. And for some of us, we've got to stop hoping that God moves us from A to T, and we have to simply take the step of going from A to B. God does not skip steps. Now, if you're thinking, well, that's, that's, that's great. That's a great lesson. That's not the whole lesson, and that's not even really where we're going today. Now we're going to move into to the, the next part of the story, which is really about a man named Simeon. Here's what we're told about Simeon. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem, in verse 25, it says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Would you guys say Simeon? This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So we're told right up front, this is a, a godly man. This is a man who hears from the Lord. This is a man who the Holy Spirit works through, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him, we're told in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. What a promise, right? That's, that's a heck of a promise. Simeon, what, what history tells us about Simeon rather than, 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 than in, this, in this scripture is that Simeon was rather old for ancient times. And so Simeon, he did, we don't know how old, but he was an older man and he had received a promise from God at some point in his life. And, and the way that this is written in the Greek, I mean, when we read it in English, we're like, well, when did he get this promise? When we read it in the Greek, we can understand this was, this was a while ago. This is a promise that maybe he even received as a young man, but, but he had been waiting for years and years and years 
and years to see the fulfillment of the promise. And he'd been holding on to this promise for a long time, holding on to this promise, going, okay, someday before I die, I'm going to see the Messiah. Someday before I die, I'm going to see the Son of God. I'm going to see the Messiah. I'm going to see the Savior of the world in the flesh with my eyes before I die. God had said, Simeon, nothing of life has taken you out yet because I want you to be alive to see the Messiah when he enters the world. And I would imagine, I would imagine like, uh, like, like us and, and like, like we experience often, that Simeon had gotten his hopes up a couple times along the way, right? Because, because in, the, in the 30 years before, the, before Jesus was born, there had been many who, who came and claimed to be the Messiah. And I think if you're Simeon, you're going, is, is this the guy? Is, is, that, is that the guy? Is that the guy? Is, 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 that, is that the guy? No, that's not him either. Oh, is that, is that, oh, no, no, he's dead already. Okay, all right, um, Oh, is that there? Oh, nope, the Romans squashed him too. Okay, all right, all right and, and, and you're going, is this, could this be, could this be, could this be? And got his hopes up. And, and after waiting and waiting and waiting, he got his hopes up and 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 had continually had them dashed. And he finds himself now an older, an, um, an older man still waiting, still waiting. And then we're told this in verse 27, it says this, guided by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents, when Jesus' parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you, what's that next word? As you promised. You can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have now seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Now, Simeon, Simeon's not a priest. Simeon's not necessarily known as a prophet, although it's known that the Holy Spirit was on him. And we're not told that he's a prophet. We're not, we're not told that he's a priest. We're just told that he, he was guided by the Spirit, that God knocked on, on his door, that God tapped on his shoulder and said, hey, Simeon, you need to go to the temple today. You need to go to the temple today. I'm not telling you why you need to go to the temple, but you need to go to the temple today. And Simeon followed the voice of God, and Simeon followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and he got up and he went to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, Mary and Joseph are looking for a priest to hand their child to. They're looking for, like, hey, where do we go? What do we do? And Simeon, this man who's not a priest and not a prophet, he just takes the child, and this, is, this would be so, like, if this happened today at church, like if you showed up with your kid and someone was like, ah, let me take it, and let me just, like, I'm going to say something, you'd be like, do you have a background check? Like, all, like, we would ask all kinds of questions, all right? But, but Simeon just takes the, the, the child Jesus and he holds him up and he's like, God, I realize why you brought me to the temple today. You brought me to the temple because years and years and years ago, you made a promise and today it's fulfilled. Years and years and years ago, and I've been waiting and I've been waiting and I got my hopes up and got them dashed and I got my hopes up and I got them dashed and I got my hopes up and I got them dashed, but today I am seeing my hopes fulfilled. I'm seeing my dreams fulfilled. I'm seeing that dream that you put in my heart years and years and years ago. I'm finally seeing it fulfilled. And he says, today, I've seen, you, I've seen your salvation. You've prepared it, and you've prepared it not just for the nation of Israel, but you prepared it to be a thing that goes to the entire world. Simeon saw what was promised years earlier because God kept his promise, because God always keeps his promises. And, and Simeon, he doesn't just rejoice, he begins to speak prophetically about the future, about what Jesus would be to the nation of Israel and what Jesus would be to the entire world. In other words, Simeon had received some promises from God, and after seeing the fulfillment of these promises, Simeon begins to make promises on behalf of God. 
that, and, 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 and about what would eventually be fulfilled with the life of Jesus. As you prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and to your, to, in glory to your people of Israel. In verse 33, it says, His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him, what was being said about their son, Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now that's a weird thing to say to a new mom, right? Like, like, just like, I'm picturing like, you know, us going home from the hospital in June. Like if someone had showed up at our door and been like, hey, I just want to pick up your child for a second. Okay, that's weird. You're a stranger, uh, stranger danger, but you okay. You, I guess you can pick up our child. Like if someone had said to Jalen eight days after, after Marvel was born, hey, I just want to let you know a sword is going to pierce your, pierce your very own soul because of this child. Be like, thanks. Kind of weird. But he starts to talk about, about what Jesus was going to be in the nation of Israel, that he was going to cause people to, 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 pick, to choose sides, and that's exactly what Jesus did, that he was going to be the salvation for Israel and for the whole world, and that's exactly what Jesus was and exactly what Jesus did. And that Simeon saw the promise of God fulfilled because God always keeps his promise. And even if it takes years and years and years and years of waiting, we wait expectantly that God will always fulfill his promise. Now, verse 36 goes on to tell us about one other person, and her name was, was Anna. It says this, there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then it says this, and she was a widow for 84 years. It says this, she did not leave the temple, serving God day and night with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, as Simeon's talking, at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, what's cool in history is, I mean, the history from the ancient times, we don't get a whole lot of, like, you know, artwork. We don't get a whole lot of, like, what people looked like. We don't get a whole lot of, like, you know, detailed images of what people looked like. But we actually do, from history, have a picture of Anna, and we do know what she looked like. So I want to show you that, because this is so cool to have a picture from ancient times. This is so cool. If you'd put that up there, yeah, this is, this is, this is a picture of Anna. And, um, just kidding. Um, that you're, you're like, is that real? No, that's that's not. That's from the Frozen, the movie Frozen. Um, but I, but I'm just excited that someday, like when my daughter grows up and is is able, you know, really, she's obsessed with Frozen and Let It Go, and she's upset. Like someday I'll be like, guess what? Your daddy in a sermon one time he put a picture of Anna up, and she'd be like, no way, that's so cool. And I'll be like, yeah, no one else thought it was cool, but I'm glad you do. So anyway, so yeah. Um, we, 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 don't, we don't know, what, we don't know what, what, what Anna looked like. You can take that down because that's just going to be distracting. We, we, don't, we don't know what Anna looked like, and her name wasn't really Anna. I just set that up so, that, so I could have some fun. But we do, know that, we do know that Anna was old. Okay, I mean, like, even, even if she was literally married the second that she got out of the womb, seven years of marriage, 84 years as a widow, she's minimum 91 years old, probably something more like 104 to 105 years old. And she's lived her whole life serving God. And she's lived her whole life paying attention to what God was doing in the world and hoping that someday God would bring a Savior, to bring the Savior that he had promised, not to her, but that he had promised to, to his people. And, he's, and, she's, and she's spent her entire life since, the, since her birth, like, focused on God and serving God and waiting to see what God would do. And finally, in this moment, at the same moment that Simeon begins to speak, Anna's attention is drawn to the, same, to the same child, Jesus, and she goes over and she begins to, to, to sing the praises to God in the same way that Simeon did. Thank you, Lord. You, you finally revealed your servant. You finally revealed the Savior. You finally, you finally have sent the Messiah, the one that's going to bring the redemption of all people. 
And so if you're, if you're looking at these stories going, okay, so what's the, what's the whole point? What's the, what's the deal? What's the story? What's the kind of bottom line here? Here's the bottom line. God doesn't want you comfy. God wants you patient with his promises. God doesn't want you comfortable. God wants you patient with his promises. That as, that as, as difficult as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, as, as unwilling to wait as we often are, God looks at us and says, look, I don't want you to rush the process. I don't want you to try to jump ahead in the, in the steps. I don't want you to try to get ahead of me. I want you to be patient and understand that I am working for the absolute fulfillment of my promise at exactly the right time for the world, and I'm working at exactly the right time for you. God does not want us comfort, comfortable. God wants us patient with his promise. That if God has said something to you, it's, it's good, it's for you, he will keep his promises, but it will not be in your time. If God has made a promise, if God has said this is going to happen, it will be amazing, it will be wonderful, it's worth waiting for, but it might keep you a little uncomfortable while you're waiting. You may have to wait longer than you think, but God will always keep his promises, when we keep our eyes on him, when we keep our, our, our gaze on him, when we keep our, our eyes fixed on him and watching for him and waiting for him and doing whatever he would have us do in the meantime, God always keeps his promises. He wants to, us to be patient while he keeps his promises. If last week was the idea that God wants you surrendered, this is the idea that God wants you surrendered to his timing and to his plan, and to his purpose, that your timing says, I want it now. God's timing says, I want it when it's right. That our timing says, I want it, I want it yesterday. God says, I have a perfect time, and I have a perfect plan, and I have exactly when this needs to happen, and if you'll just be, will, be willing to be patient, you will see my hand at work. That God says, I want you surrendered to my timing, and God wants you to be willing to wait for his timing, and to be willing to wait to see the fullness of God's provision and his direction. And so three things I think that we see from, from, from Simeon and from Anna in this story, three things that I think we've got to be willing, as we wait, as we're in the waiting, as we're in the middle of like, I, God promised it and it hasn't happened yet, but I still believe it's going to happen. There's three things I think we see from their story. And the first one, if it, while we're waiting, we should be willing to hear and follow the Holy Spirit's prompts. While we're waiting, while, while I'm going, okay, God, this is what you promised, and it hasn't happened yet, I'm not just going to sit back and go, well, God's got to drop it in my lap. No, what God does for Simeon is he taps Simeon on the, sh Simeon on the shoulder one day. After years and years of service, after years and years of prayer, after years of getting his hopes up and then, and then not having the hopes realized, he taps Simeon on the shoulder one day and says, hey, I want you to go to the temple. And just imagine, just imagine, after years and years of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, what if Simeon went, you know, God, I'm an old man, and today I just don't feel like going to the temple. I, I mean, like, just like that, that in, in, I think that's what so many of us, we do. God, I, I haven't seen it, and so I'm starting to question whether or not you're ever going to do it. And Simeon still says, God, I still believe that you're going to do it, and you're not telling me that today because I go to the temple I'm going to see the Savior, but you're telling me that I need to go to the temple, and if you're telling me that I need to go to the temple, there's a reason behind it. If God is prompting you to do something, if the voice of God, if the voice of the Holy Spirit is pushing you or nudging you, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. And when we surrender to God, we surrender to his nudges. When we surrender to God, we surrender to his Holy Spirit. When we surrender to God, we surrender to his voice. And we say, God, if you say so, okay. So Simeon goes, God, I've already surrendered to you. I'll go to the temple. And here's the thing. I know that, I know that God is a great and gracious God, but I also believe there are moments in life that really do hinge on a single act of obedience. 
I really believe that. And so when we hear the voice of God, when we feel the prompt of God, let's move and let's move quickly. One of the things that we're working on with our daughter is um, we're, we're trying to teach her to be obedient. And if you have ever had a two-year-old, you know that you actually do have to teach that. That's not something that comes naturally to children. And, and so we're, we're trying to teach her what obedience looks like. And one of the things that, we, that I, I'm, I'm trying to help her understand is obedience is, is doing it on the first time. That, it, that true obedience means I don't have to tell you eight times to go pick up the donut. True obedience is I told you once to pick up the donut and you picked up the donut. And I think sometimes God looks at us as, 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 if we're really, as if we really are his children and he's trying to teach us obedience. He says, look, I don't want you to wait till I've told you eight times. Just hear my voice and follow, the, follow my leadership and follow the prompt. And while we're waiting, some of us, we've gotten a little too passive and maybe we need to follow God's prompt in the middle of our waiting. The second thing that we have to do is don't overlook mundane moments. Don't overlook mundane moments. To everyone else looking on, this was just another baby being dedicated by new parents. This is something that happened very frequently. This is something that happened often. I mean, just about every day, there were people bringing children to be dedicated to the Lord, to have their circumcisions. I mean, this was a frequent, common occurrence. So everyone looking on is going, yeah, just another baby, just another circumcision, just another sacrifice, just another couple bringing their, bringing their pigeons. Like, and, and this is just kind of another day, and this is just another set of, of, of parents. But here's the thing. In the middle of everyone else going, this is just another day, Simeon thought, no, 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 no. In the middle of just another ordinary day, God is doing something extraordinary. God is doing something special. God is doing something that is beyond anything that he's ever done before. God is doing something that nothing will ever compare to again. This isn't just another baby boy. This is the son of God. This isn't just another, another family. This is, this, is, this is the family. This is the family. This is the family that's going to raise the, the son of God here on the earth. This is, this is not just another day. And so here's the thing. I think for some of us, we kind of, in the middle of our waiting, go, it's just another Tuesday, just another Thursday, just another Friday. I've been waiting to get promoted, just another Wednesday. Why should I give my best energy today? Why should I bring my best energy to this day? Just another, you know, like, you know, I, I've been waiting to meet someone for seven years or been waiting to meet with someone my whole life, and now I'm 26, and now I'm 28, and my mom just told me I'm, I'm day-old bread when I was at Thanksgiving dinner, and like, and I'm, I'm, I'm past my prime, and I'm, 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 I'm all that, I'm all that. So is it really worth bringing my best anymore? Is it really worth trying anymore? Is it really worth, like, I mean, it's just another day. It's just another day. It's just another day. But here's the thing. I want to encourage you. Don't miss the power of what can happen when you bring your best every day. Don't miss what can happen when you show up and pay attention every day. And, I, and for, for those of us in church, I think sometimes we can get thinking, well, it's just another Sunday. Don't miss the power of what can happen when you show up expecting God to speak to you on just another Sunday. That it may be the Sunday that God decides to speak to your heart to change your life. Don't show up thinking, oh, it's just another Sunday. This is, show up thinking, this is the Sunday that God might change me forever. This is the Sunday that God might speak to my heart in a way that moves me in a new direction. Don't overlook mundane moments. And then here's the final thing that I want to encourage some of you guys to do. And, and, and it's going to sound so simple, simple. And it's going to sound like, 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 okay, yeah, I get that. But here's the final thing. The final thing is just the word stay. Did you guys say stay? Stay. See, here's the thing from the, from the story of Anna, and the reason I wanted to include her story, because you know, like, you know, she didn't have the promise that Simeon had of personally, hey, you're not going to die before you see the Son of God. But she, but she had the promise that there was a Messiah that was coming, because God had promised the nation of Israel that there was a Messiah coming. She had that promise. And I am guessing that there is nothing about Anna that woke up every day going, man, for 84 years, I just want to never, 
Like, like I'm, I'm always in the mood to keep going to the temple and serving at the temple. And I'm guessing that Anna, she probably hadn't been serving nonstop at the temple for 84 years since her husband passed away, but she had developed the reputation of someone who stayed. She wanted to see God move. She wanted to see God work. She wanted to see God do what only God could do. She didn't want to miss it because she left for a moment. And some of us, again, when, we, when we're waiting, when we're, when we're saying God hasn't done it yet, but I believe he can, some of us get so tempted to wander away, to drift away, to take our eyes off of God, to stop doing the things that, we, that we've been doing from the beginning. And I think Anna is an incredible example to us of someone who just stayed. And she kept her eyes on God. And while she was waiting, she kept her eyes on God. And while it hadn't happened yet, she kept her eyes on God. And while it hadn't happened the way that she thought it was going to go, she kept her eyes on God. And while her husband passed away after seven years and she lived another 84, she kept her eyes on God. And after everything that she had gone through and everything that she had experienced that would cause her to take her eyes off of God, she said, no, 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 God, I'm going to stay. I'm a person who stays. And so for some of you who right now are facing some doubts and facing some wonder and facing some like, is this ever going to happen? I, I know the temptation. I know the, the natural thought is like, I'm going to look to someone else for answers. I'm going to look to someplace else for answers. I got to find some answers from someone and I'm not getting them from God. So I got to go somewhere else. I just want to encourage you, don't take your eyes off of God. Stay. Don't let your heart wander from God. Stay. Don't let your, don't let your, your attention get away from God. Don't go looking for God answers from people who are not God. Stay. 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 See, here's the thing. Doubt in and of itself is not dangerous, but doubt is dangerous if doubt takes you out. If doubt causes you to go to a place that is not God looking for answers that only God can give, doubt becomes really dangerous. And so here's the thing. In the middle of your doubt, take your doubt to God. In the middle of your questions, take your questions to God. In the middle of your wondering, take your wondering to God. Don't wander from him, wander to him. Don't question him in the dark to someone else, question him in the light of day. Take your doubts to God because he's a good and wonderful heavenly father who can handle your doubt and can help you see the answers that you need. Because he's a God who always keeps his promise. And he's a God who will always remind you of what he's doing in the middle of it. So while you're waiting, hear and follow the Holy Spirit's prompts. While you're waiting, don't overlook the mundane moments. While you're waiting, stay. And here's something that one of Jesus' disciples, here's what we're going to read as we end. One of Jesus' disciples named Peter, who was originally named Simon, he, he wrote this about waiting for God. He said this in 2 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9, he said this, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. It says this, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to, any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Peter says, look, the Lord does not delay as we, experience, as we think of delay. Other translations say God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some, some people would consider slowness. He says, but God is patient. God is patient, waiting for just the right time, for just the right moment, for the world and for you. So here's the thing. While we're waiting, stay. While we're waiting, don't ever overlook the, the ordinary moments. And while we're waiting, listen for and hear and follow the Holy Spirit's prompts. That's how we wait well. And that's how we wait in a way that stays patient with God while waiting for his promises and keeps our eyes open and our hearts open to what God wants to do in the meantime. Let me pray for you.